Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. Hi, how are you all? I hope you're well. This week I am chatting to another really interesting guest. Her name is Catherine Ormerot. She is a mum of one. She's also a journalist and a social media influencer and she is the author of a new book, which you may have seen doing the rounds on Instagram called Why Social Media is Ruining Your Life. And yes, we chatted a lot about the irony of Catherine having written this book and also being an influencer on Instagram. We dig into that a lot in the interview. We also chatted about her path to writing the book and how her different life experiences have led her up to this point, including the huge impact that her divorce had on her career and life philosophy. I didn't make the decision for my marriage to end, but, oh my God, it set me free. It really did. And it made me realise that whatever I do, things might all go to crap. So you might as well just do you. And, like, it took time, obviously, because it was shockingly hard to deal with at the time. But in the ensuing few years, I live my life by my own rules now. And we also obviously chat about social media and the impact that it's having both on us and our view of ourselves and also on our children and the next generation. I just would hate my kids to be in school and be looking on social media and think that everyone was really rich and successful and happy and that nothing crap ever happened. I worry already about the privilege that my kids will have in comparison to how I was brought up. So I hope you really enjoy it. If you do, you know the drill, leave me a review, pop over to Instagram, let us know what you thought. Is social media ruining your life? Should we all come off Instagram? Should we share pictures of our children on Instagram? These are all such personal topics to me at the moment. I think about some of those questions almost daily so i'd love to hear your views to drop me an email or come over to instagram all irony accepted <laughs> here it is Catherine, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for inviting me to your lovely home. <laughs> Very excited to be here. And there's so much I want to chat to you about this morning. So obviously your book, which is actually out today. It is indeed. Why Social Media is Ruining Your Life. So we're going to chat lots about that. Also want to chat about motherhood mm-hmm. and the intersection of motherhood and social media and get yep. your views on that. And you wrote an amazing piece on Grazia mm-hmm. for that, which I'm sure lots of people saw. So let's get into that. But first of all... Yeah. Let's start right at the start. Okay. How did you come to be an influencer? And I'm doing these funny things with my fingers. (laughs) (laughs) So I became an influencer basically because I was a fashion journalist. And obviously journalism has changed in nature hugely over the past Mm. decade. And my editor told me to bin my Blackberry, buy an iPhone and set up an Instagram account. It was actually nothing to do with me. My first handle was Catherine Grazia. So So it's very work. It was all about work. And that really kind of let me do it without feeling totally embarrassed. Because I think people forget back in the day when you started out, there was a massive cringe factor. Like, are you going to put pictures of yourself on the internet? You must think you're so beautiful. And now for people, it's just like for young kids, it's a rite of passage. It's, you know, you'd never think that necessarily. But I kind of had the mask of it's part of my job to helped me segue into it. And then, you know, I built an audience while I was at the magazine. What year was that? 
It was 2014, I think, 2014, 13, something like that, because I think I left in 2015. So then I left my job and went freelance. And having that platform was really, really useful for me because it meant that I could continue to be involved in the industry. Brands could invite me to things. It wasn't just like, oh, Catherine, who used to work at Grazia. So you changed your handle. I did. I put my surname (laughs) in there. It was astonishing how many people thought Grazia was my surname. I can't even. You can't even. But, you know. Were people like, oh, did you get married? (laughs) Well, pretty much. There were a lot of questions like, oh, so why did you change it to... I was like, because that's my name. But anyway, that's by the by. People surprise you every day. (laughs) So that was really, really useful for me. And it really made me realise how valuable it can be if you step outside the traditional confines of an industry but still want to continue being involved in it and having I guess a value to the players on the scene and that's why I think it's really worthwhile building your own platform and putting time and effort into it because it gives you a freedom I suppose to still have a say still have a voice in a world where you're not backed by one of the big boys, I suppose. Mm, I totally agree. And actually, Instagram, for me, has just been... Mother kind wouldn't really exist without Instagram. It's the connections. It is. Like, I don't really know. I mean, you know, I found you and your book on Instagram. Most of my guests are people that I've followed on Instagram or liked what they said. Yeah. Or I really don't know. I mean, I guess I'd have to be like Google or turn to traditional media, I suppose. Exactly. I'm a massive fan of it, but we're going to talk lots about the other side yeah, of it of course but I'm really interested in so you're sort of building up this following yeah you're consulting with different yeah, brands was, yeah and, and that's really what I did when I left Grazia I realized that there was this big gap in the market and brands needed to speak to a new digital consumer but just didn't have the language yeah I think a lot of journalists think that digital media has ruined their career but actually it's provided incredible opportunities for writers and image makers because now instead of just 16 magazines that you could potentially work for, there are hundreds of thousands of brands who need our skills. desperate for content. Exactly. And a lot of brands still today don't know how to create content. It's definitely cheapened the value of our skills, I would say. You get less money for what you once would have, but... There are lots of really interesting opportunities out there still to creatively collaborate. Of course, there's a lot of bread and butter stuff that isn't wildly creative too, but that was the same on magazines. No job is all the A-star days. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, no, it's really good. And then I took on a position as editorial director at a tech company, a fashion tech company, and I did that for 15 months. It was really interesting because... You kind of think, oh, fashion tech, it'll be the same as working on a magazine or, you know, being in that industry. And it was completely different. Mm. Like the tech culture is so, so different from media. It's very male dominated. It was the first time I've been in an environment where my voice as a woman would sometimes be condescended to. Well, yeah, because I guess magazines traditionally, not always, but traditionally are very female powerhouses. They really are. I was working on a magazine with 50 women and two men. Yeah, wow. You know, so to go to that and then have every member of the C-suite, the CEO, the CMO, they were all white men. Yeah, that was my experience. Well, I was at BMW where that was my experience. You know, and it is really subtle things. It isn't people saying, oh, you're a woman, your voice doesn't count. It isn't that. It's being called emotional when you're passionate about something. It's having your voice spoken over in meetings. It's really, really small, little, subtle things 
that make you feel that you're actually disenfranchised from any decision-making and that, over time, really ebbs away your confidence. Mm. And I think, you know, the company that I worked for wasn't bad. Like, no-one was doing anything wrong. It was just a very different culture and the gender set up there, you could feel it because it was obviously the exact opposite from where I'd come from, where motherhood and female experience were supported. Everyone was so empathetic. And then you go into an environment where that experience just isn't part of the culture. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's quite a turnaround. Anyway, in the end, I decided to leave and go back to working for myself. Because when you left there, was your confidence at an all-time low because of that? Or were you <sighs> fired up to... What did that experience teach you or, or how did it change you? I think it was some and some. What it made me realise is once you've worked for yourself, there really is no true going back. That's what I always say. <laughs> because there is no boss that's going to value me as much as I value myself. I am my number one employee. And the bottom line for a business is that it's about the bottom line, not about you and your personal development or your career development or happiness. So I think... That experience really taught me that, that it was time to go alone for good. And I can't imagine that anyone will ever be able to employ me again. Maybe you needed that last hurrah. I think so, you know. I think that I needed to be in an environment where there were staff benefits and a really good, secure wage because it was very easy in fashion to say the reason that I want to be freelance is because the pay is so terrible and there's no support for a family or anything like that. Obviously not from the staff, but from the business itself when you're working on shoestring type endeavours like magazines pretty much are these days, you're not going to get a salary increase. There isn't an opportunity to really be financially responsible because you're earning such a low salary. Mm. It got to the stage I ended up leaving Grazia actually because I was living this swanky life which you could see on social media was flying business class, staying in these incredible suites in Tokyo and New York. And then one day I got really bad toothache and I went to the dentist and I had to have a crown. I couldn't afford it. I had to ask my dad for the money. And, like, I was not a big spender. I couldn't take the hit of, like, £1,400. I didn't have that kind of money on my salary. I had no savings and every month was paycheck to paycheck. And you're like, that's fine when you're 26, but then when you're 31, you're a bit like, hang on a minute. And I guess that's a lot of people's reality until they're 66, actually, isn't it? But I wonder if the seed that was being planted there was that dichotomy and that contradiction. Yeah, definitely. Not able to actually engage in basic self-care, like getting your teeth done, but then having this on social media, I guess, is hugely opulent, glamorous, wealthy-seeming life. Exactly. It really was that situation, and it's really tough to make your way in a city like London. It's wildly expensive, and I just realised that, what was I waiting for? Was I waiting for some really rich man to come and pick me up and buy me a warehouse apartment in Shoreditch? Like, is that what I was waiting for? Because... Were you? Well, I didn't think I was, but maybe I was, you know. And in the end, I had to say to myself, a la Cher, you are that rich man. You've got to go and make it for yourself. When did you get to that? Like, because that's quite a big... uh, Awakening sounds like a big word, but it's a big transition, actually, to be like, come on. It was. I think my divorce had a big part to play, to be wildly honest. Like, before... Not that my ex-husband was wealthy or anything like that, but it was always the two of you. You could always see how you could kind of make things work in the future. But when you're on your own in your early 30s and you're thinking somewhere down the line, I want a family, I want to be able to own a home, 
somewhere where I can get to my job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It really was like, okay, you can keep on living a life for the perks and sit here with all these expensive accessories, but actually that's not really being a feminist, you know? A feminist is saying that you can take care of yourself and that you're not waiting for someone else to pay the bills, either your father or your husband or your boyfriend, whatever it is. It just made me think, as great as this all is, it's time to, like suck it up and get out there and try and start to make some proper money you know what did you do I got my ass around town and got in touch (laughs) with like literally every single brand you're growing your following at the same time on Instagram I was but I knew I had skills that brands needed it was a gamble but everyone does tell you that you make more money when you're freelance so you do know that that is a thing before I left I knew that the potential was out there the first six months were excruciatingly difficult And I was living on credit and it was really hard. But then things started to work. And, you know, if you're a grafter and you will put yourself out there and you chase it, there are opportunities to be had. You just have to just have the balls sometimes. Call people up, put your face in front of theirs, tell them what you can do for them. Even if you don't really believe that you can do it yet, just go out there and hustle. And that's what I did. And it did make a massive difference. But anyway, then I decided to go back to like this very secure, comfortable salary job. And I realised that actually that wasn't what it was that I actually needed. Obviously, it was nice to be paid more money. But what I needed was freedom. And I needed the opportunity to be able to live not just my professional life, but my personal life how I wanted and that would be to go and travel and see my parents who live abroad to be around for my son ultimately and I guess make my own rules I think I just became too much of a rebel I definitely think that my divorce marked a massive watershed in my philosophy for everything because I was very much like I'm on a trajectory here I'm going to follow the steps I'm going to follow the rules this is what life is do what you're supposed to do and I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do you know engaged at 24 married at 26 had a good title a good job I had everything from the outside that you were meant to have from there but the truth was I was making a pittance I was in a really unhappy marriage and I did not feel good about myself and more than anything I wasn't living the life that I wanted to I was living like this fake version this should life I call it exactly you know that exactly and then I didn't make the decision for my marriage to end but Oh my God, it set me free. It really did. And it made me realise that whatever I do, things might all go to crap. So you might as well just do you. And like, it took time, obviously, because it was shockingly hard to deal with at the time. But in the ensuing few years, I live my life by my own rules now. The problem is that that isn't very manageable in an office environment. (laughs) Why didn't you arrive now? Oh, you know what? I really needed a lion today because I was up till 4am last night doing the work that you told me to. But, you know, I know how you don't really care about that, but I care about me. So, you know. I think there's something, because I had, minus the divorce, I had very similar trajectory around, I guess, an awakening, I call it, of shedding everything that I thought would make me happy. And I'm exactly the same, very big career, successful, lovely friends, was renting a lovely flat. But inside, I was pretty dead, actually. I didn't really know who I was. I noticed a lot of women that I coach and talk to, like you, there's a correlation between this, hang on a minute, what do I really want? Mm. Who am I really? What are my values? Like you said, freedom. 
and creativity and being able to make your own rules, you know, mine are quite similar. I think there's a real jar with a corporate nine to five with that. There's not many people that I know that have that level of waking up to the world. Hang Mm. on, we only get this one brief life that could end literally this afternoon. Like, what are we doing? And I do think there's a definite correlation from being a really good schoolgirl. I think if you've been like a massive achiever at school... Were you an A-star at? Same. Yeah, I think I never got a B, but I just thought that was how that's I was how going I was going to be. live the rest of my life. Like, really, my life was at its apex at school because not really, obviously. But <laughs> Peaked at thirteen, <laughs> I literally was so successful at school, and I just presumed that the rest of life would unfold like that, and it just didn't. And I think my whole twenties were trying to get back onto that track that I'd built through high school, and I had the same experience. Yeah. But my husband always says to me, he's like, because he is a hugely successful entrepreneur, loves what he does, is a real rule breaker, always has been. Crashed through school, like literally. Exactly the same as my boyfriend, no GCSEs. Interesting. No GCSEs, no A-levels, but he has a degree because he talked himself onto a course. Wow. And very similar to my husband. The fact that I've chosen to have my life with that person, Mm. I think really speaks to the fact that that's what I admire and it's what... I wish I could be, but there's still, still now, even things that hold me back. Less like, well, less. I don't know, like British politeness, for example. A saying huge no. One. I mean, saying no, I've got much better at, but, you know, trying to be very tactful and always the diplomat in situations, you know, and being very empathetic, feeling other people's pain in conversations and trying to be there for them without really thinking about myself. I was going to say, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is when you're abandoning yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's people-pleasing. It is, and I think the next 10-year struggle is to get over that Mm -hmm. because it's so deeply ingrained. Same as me. We sound like we've got quite similar trajectories. And I think the people-pleasing comes more from a family background My parents were divorced. There were tricky times growing up and I was always not the person in between because my parents dealt with it very well, but there was a lot of smoothing over cracks. And I think that's something that's really difficult to shed. On the flip side, since I've become a mum, I'm really angry. I think that that internal rage has been unleashed. No, at the world. (laughs) Is that part of where the book came from? Anger. There is anger in there for sure. And I feel... As I was reading it for the audiobook, I could feel it welling up inside me. There are things that frustrate me about a lot of things now that I would have been much more sanguine about or felt that I didn't have an ability to change them. Mm. Whereas I feel more empowered to be active in conversations and discussions. And did motherhood ignite that? It did. And I don't know whether that's tiredness or a thought for the next generation, because it isn't just the time you spend with your children that changes your life your whole outlook obviously shifts because you're thinking about 60 years on, maybe from when you might not even be here. <laughs> you can't help it. It's imperceptible, but it does change. And things that I was just like, oh, you know, it is what it is. Now I'm like, no, no, we have the ability to change things. You can really all get together. We've got a voice these days, many platforms like this one, like mine, and you get to choose what you do with it, you know, and you can make a difference. What are those missions that you're on now? What change do you want to see in the world? I just would hate my kids to be in school and be looking on social media and think that everyone was really rich and successful and happy and that nothing crap ever happened. I worry already 
about the privilege that my kids will have in comparison to how I was brought up. I was brought up in a very modest background. Both my parents grew up in social housing. I was the first person to go to university in my family and was a struggle. And a lot of my esteem comes from the fact that I've come from nothing and built a career with no contacts or no money behind me. Which is unusual in fashion. Really unusual, and it was tough. I worked for free for two years, which meant that I was... I basically did not stop and it was really bad for my health. I think, you know, you just don't care when you're 21, do you? You just think you're more resilient at 21. You are more resilient. Our bodies and our minds are slightly kinder. Exactly, exactly. Although... Maybe not our minds, actually. I was very anxious, (laughs) let's just say. But, you know, I... It's... My child will always have more access to things than I had. They will have a closer access to power because they want to be a publisher. Well, I've got a publisher, I know publishers, I'll be able to help them. Or you they know? can self-publish in an afternoon. <laughs> well, exactly, like the world has spun. Is I that not a good thing? In lots of ways it is, but equally, things have to come hard to you. I think you have to be able to achieve something that wasn't like just falling off a log for it to really matter in some ways. The fact that I managed to get into an industry that was so difficult and become successful in that and earn my own money to buy my own flat, it would have been a very different thing if my dad had been like, oh, my friend has got a job in this company and here's £100,000 to buy a flat. A lot of my personal esteem comes from the fact that I did it off my own back and I would want my children to have that. I'd want them to be able to work and know the value of graft. And my worry is in the culture that we've created on social media is that we've taken work in general out of the picture. All we do is focus on the rewards and make it look like things are easy. And they're not easy. There's not just work in a professional capacity. There's work in your personal life and your relationships. You don't just get a loving marriage. You don't just get a happy family. It's all hard work. And I want them to know the value of that work. So my poor kids, they are going to be doing chores in the house for their pocket money. I was going to say, a lot of that, you know, you have huge influence over exactly at home. Exactly. I mean, almost all of that. Yeah. So is your concern then, you know, not only for your children, but for all of the next exactly. That's really generation I mean. about... The connection between achievement and rewards and work. I think that that's what has been really eroded by social media and the fact that aspiration is to have a large audience and be able to go on nice swanky trips, get loads of money for, you know... Because I've heard you talk about, in some other interviews around, you know, one of the driving emotions was guilt for doing work, 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 and then ultimately this book. For sure. I felt complicit because I think that... Well, you were doing that, right? You You were anxious, stressed, broke in the background... And yet only posting images of... So is this your redemption, this book? I'm not sure if it's my redemption, because when it comes down to it, I still don't think there's anything wrong with fantasy. I don't think there's anything wrong with curating or creating something beautiful. I still think there's a huge value in that. If I hadn't have read fashion magazines growing up, sitting in my suburban single bedroom, I maybe wouldn't be living this life. I've heard that story of a lot of people who you know, read Vogue under the covers of their council flat and could escape into another world. And I totally agree without art and visual. Exactly. And there's no policing that saying you can only do that if you're on a fashion magazine. Like anyone should be able to express themselves in that way. And I really believe in that. However, what I also believe in is that we need to know that that's a fantasy, that it's not a reality of anyone's lived life. 
And that's really what this book is about communicating. It is a public health service announcement, you know, (laughs) saying, yes, dream. But let's all be very clear that that's what it is. It isn't a mirror image of how anyone lives their life. In fact, it's a 1% of how anyone lives their life. 100%. Because there's no room often for the emotion. I mean, I'm all about emotion and feeling. It's sort of what I do and what I'm passionate about. And there's no room for that often in a little square of beautiful Yeah, exactly. And equally, do you know what? Why should there be? Does anyone want to see a picture of me with a greasy fringe at 2am on a deadline? Probably not. I don't want to see that picture. I'm definitely not framing it and putting it on my mantelpiece. It is not, you know... And isn't that the answer to what you're saying? How then do we demonstrate the work and the reality, I guess, of what goes into some of these careers that we're seeing and how do we what's the answer so my big philosophy is that we all have a digital footprint and there are different platforms for different uses if we're talking about something like instagram or pinterest which is a visual platform for curating things that we like and that inspire us and make us dream then use it like that if you feel like you want to express something else there are other platforms for that that's why i launch my website anyone can launch a website and it's a space to talk about the less photogenic sides of your life you can really moderate the message that you're sending across all of your platforms so there's a really nuanced reflection of all parts of you you know Mm. because I am creative I am passionate about clothes I love them the way they can change my mood and give me confidence I forever will be indebted to the world's of fashion and beauty for doing that However, that isn't the only thing that I'm about. So I don't think that you have to necessarily reflect every part of your personality in every realm or area that you express yourself. And I think that's absolutely fine. Just holistically, I think it's really important that when you look at your overall digital footprint, that what you're doing, it's something that you're comfortable with. It's something that you're conscious of, mindful of, and feel that you can stand behind So how do you want the way that we're using social media, both as creators and consumers, to change? So I think that there's responsibility on both sides. So there's responsibility to consume responsibly. What does that look like? I think three real key things are the amount of time you're obviously spending on your device. Looking at these images, you can overdose on anything. If you eat delicious chocolate all day long, it's going to not be good for you. you Well, yeah, if you've got that addictive tendency you can apply it to anything exactly exactly so the first key thing is never have your phone in your bedroom like it's a baseline it will be very soon I'm sure like oh my god you have your phone in your room god you know that's so bad for you (laughs) you know it's like god you still smoke yeah yeah (laughs) you know because it's shown to have such a big impact on our quality and quantity of sleep and more than anything it's looking at these images when we're in a weakened state just before we go to sleep and just when we wake up and those moments it's easier to suspend your disbelief and start to internalize the perfection the barrage of perfection so I think it's really important in those moments to take moments for yourself to enjoy the few minutes of solitude before you go to sleep and when you wake up and you don't crowd them with this stimulus so that's like my number one number one change that anyone could make to their life last Christmas my boyfriend bought me an alarm clock because I kept using that as an excuse oh I need my phone there for an alarm but then the baby would wake up and I would then look at the foot you know it's easily done I had that for a few months at the beginning of 
you know, when we had the baby, I was like, oh, no, I still need my phone. It's like, there's a clock there. I was like, yeah, no, all right. So I am back on the straight and narrow with that one. I think that's really important. Equally, you really are the one that has all the power in terms of what you're consuming. You have to think of going to your social media platforms and who you choose to follow, like your grocery list when you go to the supermarket. There's a lot of choice out there. You get to decide what goes into the basket. And that doesn't just mean unfollowing people that don't make you feel good. It means actively seeking out people that do make you feel inspired, that you feel connected with on an emotional level or, you know, a creative level. The tricky thing is that brands generally tend to regurgitate the people that they've worked with and it's a lot of the same. So you have to make that active choice to go out there and try and find other accounts which you feel a synergy with. However, there is everything out there. Every subculture is represented, every body shape, every creed, colour, everything is out there. We are all on social media. So there's no excuse, ultimately. If you say, oh, I can't, it is all out there. And it's very easy. You start with someone, you find one person that you find really inspiring, see who they're following, see who's following them. It's effort, but it's mindful effort and it makes a massive, massive, massive difference to the time that you do spend on social media. Because instead of just seeing one version of what beauty is, you see all sorts, you know. And I realised at one point that every girl kind of looked the same. And since I've changed it to be following women of all different shapes and backgrounds, it has made such a big impact on my self-esteem. Yeah, we're responsible for what our feed Exactly. Looks like. You are what you eat you know and it's called a feed for a reason (laughs) there is that element of responsibility and then in terms of creators or anyone actually that's posting on social media I think as honest as you can be in situations like if you know that you're putting up a picture that is like an entire misrepresentation of who you are or what you're doing and, and by that I mean you're using you know software to change how your body looks or turning a really, really bleak grey day into something sunny and you're doing that time and time again because you feel that your real life isn't enough. Like, there has to be a moment where you stop and think, what am I doing here, you know? But then how does that mirror with what you were saying at the top of this little discussion around allowing Instagram to be a place where we consume beautiful images? Yeah. So those two jar a bit, don't they? I don't know, because I think you can create a beautiful image. Like, from my perspective... The reality of a woman's body, the way it is, that's beautiful. That she shouldn't feel the need to change it. With you know, baseline oh, I see when things. you're talking about people like making their boobs bigger and their waist smaller, okay. exactly, or smoothing out their skin to project something. Which, okay, fair enough. You could say my aesthetic is robot woman, and that's what I find really attractive. And I want to create a world of robot woman. Okay, fine, but don't let your followers think that that's real woman. You have to be clear about mm, that. Mm. Do you filter your photographs? And I make use... them brighter. I take out things like cigarette butts and wheelie bins because I'm really anal about weird things like that. I know it sounds really strange, but those kind of things How get to How do you do that? I've never... I've Facetune, ne- you can do it. So What's you can it called? Do, it's called Facetune. Lots of people use it to make their skin look poorly. See, this is why I'm not very good at Instagram. No, I didn't even, haven't even heard of I that. I mean, it's a strange thing. Like, I would never <laughs> touch my wrinkles or my pores or my teeth or my nose or anything like that because 
Firstly, I don't have a major problem with them. It's not that I don't notice that they're not perfect, but I don't have a major problem with them. But secondly, I want to look the way I look when I Mm. see people. But like when I'm making a beautiful image and it's on a street of London and someone's put their wheelie bins out for the thing, I'm like, oh, I don't like the way that looks. You know, I'm honest about it. I say in my book about exactly what I do and the fact that I do use brighteners I enhance the colours in some of the images, but I don't touch my body because I think that's... If I had a massive spot on the end of my nose, I might take that off. (laughs) I might. I'm sorry. I am maybe that much vain, but that's the extent of my vanity. So I always say that my images are about 90% real and 10% a bit not so real. As long as I'm really open about that and honest about that and in all instances I communicate that with the people that follow me I've written about it in my book then you know it you can take it at face value you're like you know what that's 90% what Catherine looks like the other 10% isn't also let's not even say it's 90% because I've probably taken a hundred pictures and then I've only chosen one of them so it's 90% what Catherine looks like one percent of the time yeah yeah and that's what it is and is that you know the title of the book you know ruining your life is that what you're talking about this idea of people forgetting that yeah and I think as soon as you do start to forget that it's like a downward spiral because into comparison into comparison the book really addresses all areas of modern womanhood from the way we construct our identity through to our body image through to our finances you know it's very easy to think oh that girl she's got three Chloe handbags so what does a Zara haul really mean I'll just put that on my annex you know like the thinking isn't bizarre when all you see is other people consuming beautiful things it starts to be like well I deserve it too and I totally understand that it's one of the reasons that I don't borrow designer clothes and take pictures of them and send them back because I don't want to do that like I buy clothes with my own money from the high street (laughs) you know most of the things that I own are not expensive and I wear them a lot like this skirt is about 14 years old it's not 14 years old but it's like at least three or four and I've probably worn it 15 20 times on Instagram and it comes from H&M and it costs like 11.99 or whatever it was 21.99 and for me that's an important part of me expressing my values in a way that I'm comfortable and feeling like I'm being responsible to my audience. Of course, there are other people out there who advertise for bigger brands, and I understand that. That's what they're doing on social media, and I get it. You've saved up your money, you want to buy a Chanel handbag for your 40th birthday. There's nothing wrong with that either. But for me personally, I want it to be more of a reflection of actually how I live my life. You know, I am not out there buying £700 shoes. I don't have that money you know and what about motherhood and social media because you've accounted your life with gray from right from the i have start so one of my big things was that i didn't want to put him on my main account because i had really struggled with conceiving and i'd found very mindlessly i'd started to consume a lot of pictures of other people's young children Mm. I hadn't thought, oh, well, they've had a baby and now they're doing it. I remember at one point I'd gone through like 15 stories and it had just been pictures or videos of other people's young children because friends of mine or people I followed suddenly started having children. And what I really wanted to make sure for other people following me was that they either opted in or opted out to that content. It wasn't just put 
in front of their I'm face without now. them choosing. Yeah. yeah. This is just my personal philosophy. If someone else does that, I totally respect and understand their decision to do that. But for me, again, it's all about this conscious personal take on social media where you've actually sat back, thought about mm. it, made peace with things yourself mm. and decided to go out there mm. and do yeah, that. Yeah, like, what's and my strategy here? Like, exactly. what, you know, yeah. What's going to make me feel good? What's yeah. going to support my mental health? There's a lot of that in the book as well. So I think that's probably really what I mean when being responsible to yourself as well yeah. as the other people following you. So I set up a separate account. The narrative Called is... Mama Loves Grey. Yes, Mama Loves Grey. The narrative is very different. It's like as real as balls. Like I talk about a lot yeah. of things. I fo- yeah, I've followed you for a yeah, while. Yeah, and it's like, you know, would that be appropriate in my main fashion and lifestyle account? Potentially not. And I've got to be honest, I wasn't interested in children till I had my own. Nor was I. And I know that that sounds like really reductive. That wasn't my lifestyle. I didn't care about weaning or green poos or things like that. It wasn't... You don't till you're in it. Exactly. And I've said sorry to so many of my friends because I'm like, I'm really sorry. I didn't get what you were going through. (laughs) Honestly, I was I've done that as well. It's almost like AA, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I need to admit that I was a shit friend to you. You're going to make amends to you. Yeah. It's such a different thing. However... From having the experience that I've had in Mama Loves Great, it's really underlined to me how important it is to use social media in a positive way. Because by being very vulnerable and honest and talking about very specific experiences, I've built the most supportive, incredible community. Mm. And in a very different way from that kind of passive put out a picture of wearing some nice shoes. Looks great. Looks great. Everything's good. Yeah. I now have a very active experience on social media in that sometimes I'll put something up and like a hundred people will talk to me. And that's like a very different thing from where I put up a pair of shoes and someone puts a love heart. People are sharing advice and experience and commiserating and being compassionate. It's a very, very different community from my fashion community so maybe what I'm saying is you need different accounts for different sides of you as well or different experiences different communities different groups of people for all different sides of what you're going through in life because I basically have one where I reflect my creative side and another one which is obviously purely motherhood based but it does get into other things as well because I think once well, it you has make... to doesn't it exactly you can't put it, it isn't just box. like oh I'm just a mum now yeah. I don't have feelings about other things <laughs> Well, this book came from exactly. becoming a mother. And what's your view on putting pictures of Grey on Instagram? So it's tricky, isn't it? Like, yeah. Obviously, there's the conundrum that they don't get to choose. Which a lot of psychologists say yeah. we need to be asking exactly. our children's permission. Exactly. And I think as soon as Grey is old enough, I would ask him. If he doesn't like the fact that there are pictures out there, I would delete them. Like, it is his choice. However, at this stage in the game, I would hope that he would understand that I'm using our images together to create a support network, which I just didn't have. My family don't live here. They live in different countries. I don't have any friends really around my age that live close by with children. Without that social media, I would have been a worse mother. It gave me a lot of solace and kept me calm in situations and made me be more relaxed and happy with him so I would hope that when he does get to the stage to be able to compute that he would understand that 
it wasn't that I was exploiting him. I just needed that community and network around me. But it's just going to be fascinating, isn't it, to see when our little ones grow up, what the view is. I will say to Jesse now, can I take a photo of you before I take any photo for anywhere? Mm. So we have a family WhatsApp group. Yeah. And sometimes she'll be like, no. And I put my phone straight away. Yeah. Equally, you do have to be mindful. Like, I would never put a naked picture up of Grey. I would never put anything up there that would embarrass him. Do, yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. I, like, you have that sense already. But, you know, I have put a picture up of him crying. And I was in mixed thoughts about that. Not that it's, like, a shame situation that he cried. I mean, he's a baby. Babies cry. But you don't see many pictures of that on social media. No, you don't, actually. Um, and yet that's how they spend 80% of the start. 95% of the time for Grey at the beginning. Like, he <laughs> was him. not a happy child. But I really, really felt that, OK, compromising potentially his rights in terms of putting a picture up for him, the value that that would make to the community that I built in terms of supporting them... The pros outweighed the cons. Well, it's going to it's going to be fascinating because the way I see it, it's going to go one of two ways. When our children are grown up, it's either social media will either have radically change and mm. be very permission based, mm. you know, and our two might be saying to us, "How dare you have done that?" Yeah. Or the other way where it will be like, of course it's not a problem. It will become so ingrained in yeah, our society exactly. that they Just might be confused that we even had that discussion it. with them. And I really don't know which way. It's, it's tricky, gonna go. isn't it? Because obviously our parents obviously always took pictures of us. They were just in a photo album to be taken we out to embarrass you, you know? I, Yeah, <laughs> and I always say this to mums that I work with on the podcast, like, you and our generation of mums, we are navigating uncharted waters. My mum said to me, she was like, you Google in the middle of the night, why is my baby not latching? And you get 17 billion results yeah. of media that you can consume, that can confuse you. And she was like, I would phone my mum at best. Or maybe one friend. We are really navigating totally different times, aren't we? And I think with this book and everything I'm saying, like, I definitely do not have all the answers. Like, I don't. And sometimes when I'm on panels, it's really difficult because I think that people are so looking for those answers and feel so lost. They're just waiting for someone to say, this is how it's going to be and this is what you should do. A few psychologists have done that quite clearly, But I think a lot of us, me included, sort of aren't ready to listen. No. But equally, I think... (laughs) Or or that's their view, you know? I think what we are ready to do is discuss this. We're ready to think about it a little bit more. And I think that this is really what the book is about, making us think about our behaviour, giving really solid, practical advice of what you can do, and just being there as a support, making you realise you're not the only one. You're not the only one that's sitting in on a Friday night looking at your friends having a good time and feeling shit about yourself. You're not the only one who looks at your body and feels general dissatisfaction with it. You're not the only one who feels worried about where their career is going. Or We are all in the same boat. That's the end of it. And, you know, in this book, I've got nearly 40 international huge influences. Yeah, I loved that part of it. So if you if you get the book, you'll see you've got people like Freddie Harrell, who's been on the, yeah, the podcast. Yeah, she's amazing, Lovely Freddie. Have you got Naomi Smart? Yeah, Naomi yeah. Smart, Zenit, Kemi Sherry, Pandora Sykes, Leandra Medine, Courtney Tropp. Like, there's a really broad spectrum of women involved. And we discuss everything from plus-size shaming to finding your subcultural community, like feeling under pressure with your identity, et cetera, et cetera. And I think really, really driving the point home, these women 
all tell us that they are having the exact same experiences that we are. So even as we're looking up to them as the hashtag goals women of this whole, you know, micro environment, they are feeling the same pain that we do. Mm. You know, it is universal. Mm. And I think... Hopefully, the, hu- the human experience. You exactly. know, Buddha said life is suffering, and it's so true. Like exactly. everyone is suffering in their own way. And I think what I've heard you say, and you know, I did say to you, I haven't finished the book, but I'm halfway through it. What I'm taking from it is that to bring that mindfulness to your social consumption and remember that actually this is fantasy, and you know, parts of it, and not to allow ourselves to judge ourselves against what might not be real. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> that's exactly, that's there we exactly go. what there that, we go. That, And that is the book. <laughs> so I always ask the same question at the end of every interview, which is if you could give all the mums in the world one thing, what would it be and why? Oh, it's such a tricky one, isn't it? Because every baby is so different. But I know this is going to sound really pathetic, but I would give them a bouncer seat that they could put their baby in that they're happy in. It changed my life. For the first, like, two and a half months, we didn't have a bouncer, so I carried that kid. He wouldn't be put down flat, not once. I had him in my arms at all times. In and a it, sling, though, right? Were you, in a sling, were you up muscling house, up? But generally just holding him. He wouldn't sit in his buggy. He wouldn't lie in a sleepy head, anything. He wouldn't go flat. He wouldn't. And as soon as I found that bouncer, it, like, changed my life. It changed my life, it really did, because I had both my hands back. And so I could you'd give a life-changing device. I would give a life-changing <laughs> device, something like that, that, you know what, you can leave the room. <laughs> you could go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, I was literally on the loo holding my baby. I mean, yeah, standard. You know. So I guess, basically, it's like a piece of equipment that is like another pair of hands. That's mm. what I think every mother needs. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I've loved our chat. so that's it thank you for listening to the episode i hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on itunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do i feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen i'd be very grateful And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.